the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash the subscribe, smash the like, and come and join us in the chat. Interactive here on a Thursday, taking some of your questions live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3, as well as questions from the big old bag of mail, where many listeners, many, many listeners have left us five-star reviews. And in that review, put some pretty good mailbag questions uh, included today. We will be talking about what it would take for a group of five player to win a Heisman Trophy. Whether or not Pac-12 quarterbacks are that great, or are they just playing Pac-12 defenses, uh, and much, much more. But uh, as always, we like to be able to hit some early bird questions along the way. Uh, let's start with one from SB Flood. Danny, if you don't mind, SB Flood wants to go down memory lane. Mailbag. Can mm-hmm. Danny dig in the crates and share an FSU memory of a game or play when the offense put in a wrinkle to attack a specific defense or player and the play worked out as planned? Okay. I have two if you want them. I mean, if we yes. want to air it out. I'll give you two. One was for, all right. So the first one was my freshman year. Uh, we had a, we worked, uh, work done. That's the title the other, year, right? Uh, no, my sophomore year was. So okay. it wasn't work done, but we ran toss sweep R48. As simple as it gets. We ran toss sweep all the time. Like it was a signature of the old Bobby Bowden, two backs, tight end, two wide receivers offense. And we ran it so much that, you know, he was watching. You would see just the flow would just go with the toss. So we were playing Clemson on the road, probably week two or three. And we put in toss 48 throwback to the running back or throwback. Just toss toss 48 throwback to the quarterback. I'm trying to spit it out this morning. So Charlie Ward was the starter. And it was really designed for him, right? I mean, we saw what Charlie Ward was capable of, but this was before Charlie was Charlie. So Charlie on the road throws like three picks against Clemson. And it is like a dogfight game. Like, and we're better than them. We were probably, I don't know, probably favored by a touchdown in the game. I don't remember. I didn't check the spreads. (laughs) But 
he was st- like he was playing so bad that they had to put me in. Uh, and they were running the toss sweep pretty effectively, and they wanted to run the throwback to the quarterback. So they benched Charlie, and they put me in, and Mark Richt is talking to me on the headset. He's like, all right, make sure you get the snap, because I had struggled with the snap, like in se- nine-on-seven drill. I was a freshman. I didn't take – like we had – I had my – my center in high school was probably a buck 75. And then I go to like a stud, you know, all American center and he's, you know, 300 pounds and he's got a lot more force behind it. So I was fumbling the snap a lot in practice and they were worried about it. So he's like, make sure you get the snap. And he goes, Hey, I want to give you a heads up. He's like, we've been setting up the throwback to the quarterback. And he's like, so are you ready for it? And I was like, heck yeah. I'm like, let's do it. So we go in and, uh, I, you know, toss 48 first play, like, bam, like gets like eight yards, gashes them, throw a little quick hitting pass, gashes them. And I'm in there first time ever playing shaved head from being hazed as a freshman, still like head buzzed, Eat deer in the headlights in my eyes, just 80,000 at, at Death Valley, just trying to make sure things are working. And so we, we're driving though effectively. And then all of a sudden I see Charlie on the sideline, like coming back in the game. And he's like waving me out mid drive. I was like, all right, I get it. I wasn't upset. I was like, I just got the snaps, made sure I had yeah. it off. All right. So go over there. On first play that Charlie comes back in, they ran the toss 48 throwback to Charlie, and he caught it. It was like a 27-yard gain or something oh. like that. They put it in for him, put him back in, and I was all fired up because I thought I was going to run it. Didn't He ran it, worked to perfection because we had ran it so many times. The other thing, we ran a smash concept a ton when Charlie was there and then when I was there later. And the smash concept was the two slot receivers would run corners, like Mm -hmm. post corners to the out, and you'd have two hitches on the outside. And we ran it a lot. And Kez McCorvey was my guy. He was my best receiver. He could break your ankles with the best of them. And we put in a, a new wrinkle to that play. We'd run smash Y Dino, which was the name of the rat, route for the slot receiver who was Kez and we put it against Virginia when we were ranked number one in the country and it was the game on Thursday night and we ran it multiple times like really successfully and he would basically he would act like he was going to the corner so everything you saw if you're a safety was oh this is smash concept they're going to run corners except he would make like two steps to the corner jab back to the middle of the field and it was it was so beautiful because you could see it coming. The safety would overplay the corner. He would cut front of his face, and he could just lay it out there for him in the middle of the field wide open. We must have hit that play three to four times, that one. E.G. Green, Kez McCorvey, those were some of the best guys running that route. So, yeah, you'd always – a lot of offenses, you'll tag certain routes within concepts, like a smash concept, a shallow cross concept, drive concept, what, whatever it is. You'll tag little aspects of it. So everything looks the same for a defense, but you'll change up one guy's route, hoping that, you know, hey, they'll be reading the concept, reading the pattern, and they'll overplay something all the time. So those were a couple. And that's part of the communication on the sidelines, too, where, you know, you're coming back as an offense and you're getting together and you're like, hey, you know, this safety is overplaying. Like, and you communicate that to the coaches and you be able to make those adjustments. The, The set you up, 
for the third quarter, you know, or early fourth quarter splash play mm-hmm. is is one of the things that is my eyes are not always going to catch it, but when it happens and like when someone's able to point it out to me, I'm like, oh, that was uh that was some good stuff right there. Uh, but we appreciate everybody. Love the does- chess match. Love the chess match within the game. You know, the the slant and go, sluggo is always one you're trying to set up. The uh, you know, stop and go on the outside, they're always trying to set that up. Bubbles. Now that's the popular because we've run so many bubble screens at the outside, and the slot receiver receiver or one of the receivers will go out to block. Right, you just get it in the hands of one of them. The other lead blocker goes, and he usually goes at the legs of the outside corner. Well, the the guy that's supposed to block for the bubble will do that, Take fake at the legs, and then shoot right up the side. Like that's one you see all over college football today. The are you when you're calling a game? Are you normally able, to, especially like when you're calling a game? You've been doing your film work going into it. Can you start to you know pick oh, that yeah. out as it's unfolding? Yeah, what you know what the higher ups always like the executives, the suits. They like when you predict it because Tony Romo did it for one season, and they're all like, "Why can't you be like Tony Romo?" But you do, you do see the field a lot better. I mean, that's why you know the coordinators are usually up in the booth, which is all the time. It's right next to the TV booth at the fifty-yard line mm-hmm. because you can see the whole picture, every play developing. So yeah, you can see teams setting it up often, pretty um, clearly. You know, my, uh, us nerds over there in the press box, you know, who's always got it is the beat writers, the guys who yeah. watch the teams all the time. Beat writers will sit there and call stuff out right before it happens. It's uh, very, very cool. Definitely one of the things we love about college football. Thanks, and keep the questions coming. Uh, we'll be starring some of them, and we'll be bringing them throughout the show. Uh, the really sort of only big newsy thing that we have to tackle isn't exactly any news whatsoever, but we do get a chance to hear from Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark as the Big 12 Media Days are ongoing right now. Day one on Wednesday, day two on Thursday. And I, I got to say, Danny, you know, for somebody who one year ago stepped to the microphone and used the phrase open for business, it, does he seem a little less aggressive and a little more sheepish right now? Because he says, you know, if we stay at 12 teams, we are perfectly fine with that. But if the opportunity presents itself where there is something that creates value and aligns with our goals and objectives, starting with the board, we are certainly going to pursue it. They have a plan that he would like to execute, quote, sooner rather than later. What's the temperature of uh, the Big 12 and its aggressiveness of trying to pursue expansion? So this is what I think. I think this is him sandbagging a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. playing, you know, like playing possum somewhat, like downplaying it all. But I think they might be closer than they were. Clearly, I think they're closer than they were last year. Last year, the open for business, I think, was generally, like genuinely we're we are going to actively and it was like a give us a call type one of those deals where now i think these conversations have already been had i'm it's probably like i don't want to jinx it i don't want to be asked about it let's not raise any eyebrows i have a feeling they're closer to a move in some direction of expansion than we think and he's downplaying it because he doesn't want to screw it up yeah, open for business preceded the addition of Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, UCF, um, the expansion that has brought about um, what we've got right here with the Big 12 moving forward. If if you are considering the Big 12's expansion, is is that a San Diego State play, or do you think that this is conversations that have been had with some of those Pac-12 corner schools? 
Did you see their odds released now on Big 12 expansion? What? I think Colorado, yeah, oh yeah. yeah so there's always there's always a book that's gonna take your money if they want to. But I did see there were some projections and some percentages put on it. Um, that it was like 20 Colorado had a 26% chance of being the next team in the Big 12. Uh, I think it was Arizona, Arizona State were like 18 and 16%, you know, and Utah was like 11%. Like there are actually people who are trying to put percentages on this, but uh books are taking bets on it. I I would think it's still the, one of those four corner schools, and I think that's the that's the home run for Brett Yormark. Yes. That's him hitting it out of the park. Man, we are all of a sudden a pretty major player. Um, and I know he even downplayed that. We're not trying to compete with the other conferences, but I think that would put them in a really good position to potentially be the third, uh, you know, power conference. And you know, so I think that's his coup. I don't know, San Diego State. Is it is a fallback option, and they're in this kind of no man's land. Clearly, what I think you just kind of have to wait and see where the dust settles. I think he would probably take them, but I think it's kind of one of those like recruiting, like relationships, where you're kind of like, yeah, let's let's keep it going, like keep the conversation going, and then you're like you're looking over there to see what's better that's out there. Sales calls or contract negotiations, all, or, you of, know, it. all of it, hundred percent. Let's 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 just keep a good dialogue going back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other sort of takeaways or anything that stood out from what we had so far at well, uh, Media Days? Well, when you thought, uh, when you said breaking news and like what happened yesterday, I thought you were going to talk Ed Ogeron as the next head coach at Northwestern. And a punch Whoever in the started. face that's apparently coming my way. I mean, what what happened with that story, which was quickly debunked. I think it was Pete Thamel, right? He's like, there's no truth to this. Well, Bruce, uh, I mean, Bruce is Ed's guy. I saw Bruce yeah. be able to come out and be like, spoke to Coach Ed. Right. You know, it was kind of ridiculous when you heard it. Um, the other thing I... Quinn Ewers, a makeover just from a haircut. I The dude almost looks unrecognizable with the nice cleaner cut look. Uh, he does seem to have a pretty good confidence about him. And I guess it shouldn't be surprising. He's been, you know, big, big time high school football in Texas. He's already spent a year under center and, and dealt with, you know, the ups and downs of being the quarterback of Texas. But I was pretty impressed just with him, you know, how he looked, how he's handled himself. And I think he's, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to temper the expectations for Texas. I always get lulled in, and then you know, by the time the season starts, I'm gung ho. Like they're going to do it this year. Just always try to remind myself, hey, they haven't done anything since 2009. Well, Sark's got quiet confidence too. Yeah, you know, you know Sark's out here is like he has a great chance. If everything, if we do everything right, Quinn's going to have a phenomenal year, and that's where we start to consider that if. Texas is a double-digit win team competing for a college football playoff spot, and Quinn Ewers is probably the reason for it. That's a that's a good Heisman candidate if you're going to look for somebody who can you know gravitate towards it. So, I I mean I'm in just because I think that the the rest of that conference who else who else are you going to pick? Right, Kansas. If you want to make a Kansas State argument, and Chris Kleiman's out here today talking about going from the Hunter to the hunted and the Wildcats within that program seem to be really taking ownership of the fact that they are right at the the top of the conference. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I just don't, a, a non-Texas pick is you just saying 
the off the 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 other reason. Oh yeah, you called me out for that on CBS Sports HQ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. I but I think it's the most. It'll be the most entertaining conference deep into the season with more teams in play. Not to say the Big Ten or the SEC and ACC aren't going to have fun, right? Pac-12, but I think there's going to be more teams in play for the Big 12 title later in November than other leagues. Yeah, and that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, speaking of the Heisman Trophy, good question from the Five Star Mailbag asked, what would it take exactly for someone from the group of five to win a Heisman Trophy? We'll get into that and more next. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, you get Ricky in that. Uh, that uh, <laughs> We needed to go grab the Ricky clip and be able to superimpose him but they didn't start the season feeling like he was going to be in the middle of the FedEx cup playoffs, but that's hundred percent right. uh, where we are at right now. All right. Taking a look into the five-star mailbag. Uh, this one comes from EG. Hey guys, listen to every episode as a Toledo rocket student. I've been blessed with watching midweek Maction. I was at the Toledo versus Ohio State game at the Shoe this past fall, and watching Toledo quarterback Daquan Finn make some special plays got me thinking. What kind of numbers or wins would a group of five player have to produce in order to become a Heisman finalist or winner? Is it at all possible? Great work on the pod. Thank you. So I was looking up Bailey Zappi because – Joe Burrow won the Heisman at LSU 2019, set you know the world on fire. Bailey Zappi came in. Remember, he he shattered a lot of those records on the season. because uh, I but he didn't have an undefeated national championship on his resume as well. I I think it's getting harder because of the separation of, you know, with these four teams going from the group of five, those probably were some of your best options. But I think you'd have to have a quarterback who would have to have, like I was looking at Michael Pratt for Tulane, who, you know, his only opportunity really is against Ole Miss. And it's week two. So that kind of set him up. Like if they pulled off that upset and he's a fun quarterback to watch and he's electric and he already had a great game against USC in the bowl. So he's got a little recognition. Even if he beat Ole Miss and lit it up throughout the American this year, I just don't know if he's going to be able to knock off a power five guy. It's just really hard. In the last 35 years, there has been one group of five winner. That would be Andre Ware. And you could argue based on conference realignment that that was even a power conference with where Houston was at right now. So then I expanded it a little bit and I said, what's the closest thing 
to group of five. And I came up with five winners. Again, 35 years, five winners that I would say are non-traditional college football powers. It would be Lamar Jackson in 2016 at Louisville, Marcus Mariota at Oregon in 2014, Robert Griffin III at Baylor in 2011, Andre Ware at Houston in 1989, Barry Sanders at Oklahoma State in 1988. So again, just 35 years, only five winners that have come from what I would consider non-traditional powers. Uh, here's the, oh, the so three. You're not even saying non-power five. You're just saying non-blue yeah, bloods. Because like, yeah. in my mind, the first thing I was like, well, the closest thing to a group of five winner that I can remember recently is RG3. That like mm-hmm. Baylor and RG3, like the way that he took over, which by the way, 37 touchdowns, 4,300 yards at 10 yards per attempt, 10 additional rushing touchdowns, 700 rushing yards. Marcus Mariota, 42 touchdowns, 4,500 yards at 10 yards per attempt, 15 rushing touchdowns and 770 yards, and Oregon was a national title contender. So like Lamar and RG3 were not national title contenders, but Lamar Jackson, you know, just had only 3,500 yards passing and 1,500 rushing yards, 30 passing touchdowns, 21 rushing touchdowns. The common thread here, Danny, that I figured out is you need 50 total touchdowns and 5,000 yards of offense. (laughs) Just last season, only one player had 5,000 yards of total offense. It was Drake May of North Carolina. He had 45 total touchdowns. He finished 10th in the Heisman Trophy voting. Austin Reed from Western Kentucky had 4,900 yards of offense and 48 touchdowns, seemingly hitting those marks, zero Heisman Trophy votes. So I don't like... What did Frank Harris have? Was Frank Harris close? Did you happen to see his numbers by chance? Frank Harris, in terms of total offense. Let's see. Yeah, Yeah, we can pull this up really quickly. He was at 4,600, 4,665. And then his total touchdown numbers, he had... 32 passing and nine. So he was at 41 total touchdowns. 5,050. I like it. You got the uh, you got the algorithm that gives you a chance. Doesn't even guarantee you to win it. <laughs> Doesn't just, even guarantee it. Right. So, I had uh, I just wrote, wrote down here some of the group of five. Kellen Moore, who was invited, right? Keenan Reynolds mm-hmm. was invited, and Jordan Lynch was invited on Northern Illinois. But even they were like which is a great honor just to get invited right. to New York, but that's basically what it was. It was like, you'll be invited. You're not going to win. You need to be, you need to be a quarterback and you need to be a quarterback who is also probably, you know, a, a decent rushing threat as well, just to be able to get those total offense numbers up so that you were at a point where you're hitting there. 50 total touchdowns, 5,000 total yards of offense. Michael Pratt. Yeah. Go get it. Run. Go get it. It's right there for you. Uh, all right, let's dive back into some of these live questions right now. Um, let's see. Ryan, okay, this one comes from Jackson King. Uh, Jackson King got in right before the show started. He said, Ryan Day said if he could change any on-field rule, it would be to have NFL hash marks. Would only superior teams want this, and could it ever happen? Hmm. It's a good question. I the superior teams I'm trying to think what the advantage would be to the superior teams. You would not uh, be spread out as much. You would not have as many opportunities. I think that the wide hash marks help the inferior teams. The teams that are not as good are able to exploit 
at least offensively, you know, more one-on-one matchups with the wider hash marks. And if you cramp them in, then it comes down to height, weight, speed, and guess who's got all of that? Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. A pro field, my guess, would only further advantage the teams that have the most talent and that the wide hash marks are what allow for Purdue to beat Ohio State, for example. I think offensive guys are pretty innovative where formationally they could try to still figure out ways to find advantages. Probably be more challenging, but I, don't know, I, th- I, th- I think it, you know, I think it does put more pressure on quarterbacks. I mean, the wide hash throw is one that becomes a lot easier, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden if you've got the hash marks, you know, inside, like there were some throws in the college. I was like, man, this is a mile across the field. And you get to the NFL, you're like, oh, this isn't that bad. You know, on the wide wide hash, um, kicking game maybe gives you a little advantage there. Yes. It takes a little load off your kickers, but that's interesting. I never thought about it just because even when we talked about the rules the other day, we kind of just said, "Ah, it's what makes college different. It what makes it stand out." The um, would only superior teams want it. My vote is yes. That you know, if you if you're fighting an uphill battle, you don't want anything that is going to allow for the more talented teams. Uh, to be able to have an advantage. Uh, And thank you to Jackson. Let's stay with the live questions. Um, Sebastian asks, uh, absolutely love all of the off-season content. Question, do you think a college head coach will make the jump to the NFL anytime soon? And if so, who do you think it'll be? Hmm. I mean, it's probably going to be, I don't know if it happens anytime soon because the money is... So great. You're not like it. I think it used to be you'd go for the bigger payday. Now you don't have to go for the bigger payday. You can go anywhere in college football and get the equivalent pay, and maybe even sometimes, some cases, more than you would get as a first time, co- uh, first time head coach in the NFL. But I think it's probably the obvious. Like if Ryan Day is like, and he's getting heat, let's say he comes up short, gets beat by Michigan again this year, but they have a top five offense and, you know, they're really good. And he starts getting heat from Ohio State fans. I could see him being like, well, I don't have to put up with this. You know, like I'm going to go off to the NFL and take my chances there rather than stay here. I think Lincoln Riley, another one mm. who maybe even if he had so much, let's say that for them, let's say he wins the national championship, he's kind of done all he's got. And Caleb Williams is going too. I could see him leaving. You know, if those were the two that kind of came to mind quickly. Do you think the ship has sailed for Jim Harbaugh? Because I, you know, never. every February, I was going to say like, never, that chip me, is always in Harbor. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say Ryan day and Jim Harbaugh. That's kind of where, where my head uh, goes first. I Lincoln Riley, 100%. Interestingly enough, I could not come up with um, just right now. I could not come up with an sec coach, even though sec is where like, you know, all the money is and some of the best coaches are who from the sec right now would be a good fit at the NFL level. Brian Kelly, but I mean, at this point yeah. in his career, you got to think he just rides LSU out until it's. He's stops. also, you know, it was interesting because uh, Sam in the chat said, "Does the Matt Rule experience scare NFL teams at all?" There's that, and there's the Urban Meyer experiments experience. I think those were more. I absolutely think it hurts their chances. I think that scares off some NFL teams seeing those two experiments fail uh, on a huge scale, and the Urban Meyer one particularly. Mm-hmm. I think the Urban one. I think if. if Brian Kelly went, it could be more similar to that. I think he's more of a college coach the way that he um, 
runs the program, like my way or the highway. And I think you can get guys to buy in. I think it's harder, but I think he might, that might unfold similarly to that. Um, I can see like a Josh Heupel. Like I think offense Ooh. always sells, you know, like, and it always is attractive because offense is what wins in the NFL. It's what winning in college football. And I think his innovation and the success he's had pretty quickly here. And he's at like a sweet spot in age. If he had another year at Tennessee, Jordan will be panicking. Don't let him leave. But I think he could, I think he would probably be one of the more attractive names from the SEC. Speaking of hash marks, Tennessee, they benefit from the wide hash marks. They got them just like, was it, uh, they they call it uh, spitting on the sideline. That's what yep. they call, like for the wide receiver position. You're just right there on the very edge. Ball's way over here. Cornerbacks in college football barely stand a chance. All right, back to the five-star mailbag. This is from a user on Apple who is using the name Brent Venables. <laughs> I'm going to guess that this is not Brent Venables. I heard he's a big fan of the show, though, so maybe. And considering the nature of this question... <laughs> It kind of seems like they're a little bit of a Caleb hater, but listen, I'll dive into it. I uh, love the podcast. Feel like I learn more about these teams during the off season than I do when they're actually playing games. A big talking point this off season has been the Pac-12 quarterbacks. Bo Nix is resurgent. Michael Penix's reemergence and Caleb Williams dominance. These all happened around the same time that they started playing Pac-12 defenses. Mm-hmm. How much of the Pac-12's quote-unquote elite quarterback play can really be attributed to the quarterbacks themselves, and how much is this the natural result of playing in a defensively challenged conference? Mm. Hey, 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 hey. Wow. Hey. Wow. <laughs> Just throwing shade out there. This is one of those conversations, and it's kind of funny how it goes because remember six or seven, eight years ago when the Big 12 had all these prolific passing offenses, everybody's like, nobody plays any defense there, you know? And it just gets shredded. And I think defense coordinators are like, what do you want me to do? Like, these are good quarterbacks. They've got schemes. They have rule advantages. And I think you've seen better offensive minds, better offensive schemes all of a sudden show up in the Pac-12. And I think they are, I think the stats help. And we've talked about when we did the Pac-12 win total shows, like the the top and the bottom. And I do think it's obviously it's pretty easy to pad your stats against the lower tier teams in the Pac-12. But I also think there's some really good quarterbacks in the in the Pac-12 too. Yeah, the coaching is a huge part of this because guess what? If Michael Penix shows up and Jimmy Lake is still the head coach and they've yeah, got the old about staff, then they're not averaging 516 yards per game like the Huskies did last year. That's Kalen DeBoer uh, being able to step in there. Bo Nix has a great year because Kenny Dillingham is a really good offensive coach and they were able to be a, a great match there for the Ducks. And clearly Lincoln Riley, you know, one of the top offensive minds in the entire country, but it, you know, a transfer from Oklahoma, a transfer from Indiana, and a transfer from Auburn all of a sudden land in the Pac-12 and start lighting it up. You know, it's funny, too, because we also mentioned that that'd be a good idea for Bo Nix. Like, hey, man, just don't play the SEC defenses. Like, don't, and, and you are going to have more success, especially with your playing style, uh, to be able to get out and and not have to have a future first-round draft pick bearing down on you. When he was at Auburn and he's got a Georgia defensive line bearing down on him, it's a very different proposition than him being able to extend the play when he's going up against Washington State. 
And it's just a different caliber of athlete uh, that makes uh, Bo Nix certainly stand out. Also, go ahead. Well, I was, I don't know. I was, I was looking at the, the numbers. I mean, it's starting to show up too, that the big two, the, you know, the power two, I was just looking at the list of, I was going to say, man, you know, it's, it's harder to go against a lot of NFL players. Pac-12 had the least amount of players drafted last year's draft, but it's not by that much. I mean, it's 10 Pac-12 players were drafted in 23 draft, 12 from the ACC, 13 from the big 12. And then the massive jump goes the big 10, 25 SEC, 31. So. Big 12 also got a unique pad from a bunch of TCU. I think mm-hmm. TCU had a unique like six or seven player haul, and you're not going to be getting that. Oh, you could. I, I'll tell you what, good test case here. Don, always a loyal uh, listener here. If DJ Uyunglele thrives, there might be something to this Pac-12 team. <laughs> like, he could be our uh, our test case. I also saw um, Ozzy. By the way, that was round one through three. I just pulled up okay. a list that was one through three, but I – I would assume those trends, you know, followed throughout the entirety of the draft. Ozzy says Michael Penix put up more points against Texas than Oklahoma did. So, you know, maybe, maybe username Brent Venable. And by the way, Michael Penix was pretty good as a freshman at Indiana. You know, like and when he had a pretty good year then, like he just got hurt and then he was on a really bad team. I think he's a really good quarterback. Coming up on the other side, a lot of transfer quarterbacks, DJU. You know, we, we got our eyes on a lot, but there's a very specific question from a listener who wants to know who's going to have a better season. Is it going to be Cade McNamara at Iowa or Graham Mertz at Florida? Next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, diving into the big old bag of mail and taking some of your questions live at youtube.com slash cover3. This one does come from the big old bag of mail as Tim asks, hey guys, which Big Ten transfer quarterback do you expect will have a better season? Cade McNamara at Iowa or Graham Mertz at Florida? I expect Iowa to have a better season than the Gators, but which quarterback will put up better stats? I think Cade McNamara, I think he's a better quarterback from what we've seen uh, in his time at Michigan. I think he's going to a program that has a little more stability around it. I think you'll always see like you're going to have that defense is going to be good. I'm more worried about Graham Mertz and Florida just as a program. So I'll say Cade McNamara. Plus, you got the intriguing factor of everybody's going to be watching the point total for Iowa this year. Rolling for 300, man. And I think he's a significant upgrade at the position. So I think it'll be interesting to see what uh, Brian Ferentz does with him. Yeah, the um, I will say that in Graham Mertz's case, he does have two really good running backs. Like mm-hmm. the... Florida's offensive line, I know Bud has mentioned that he's a little bit concerned about some of the the depth and whether the pieces are going to be there to replace a couple of NFL draft picks up front. But I think about the way that Billy Napier handled his business at Louisiana and even what they did last year, like that that's going to be a team that's going to run the ball effectively. It is going to be on Graham Mertz to then hit those important splash plays out of play action and go in and make something happen. Cade McNamara... You know, he got a little bit banged up, but J.J. McCarthy's also really good. Right. right? And Graham Mertz's exit from Wisconsin you know, wasn't wasn't like he got beat out by, you know, a, a, a terribly untenable situation. Uh, I think that I'm with you right there. I would go with McNamara as well. All right, let's go to the live uh, mailbag. This is from Josh. And Josh asks... 
Do you think there's anything in common from teams with low expectations that end up being really good like TCU last year? Is it quarterback play, luck, schedule? Hmm. I think it's a combination of all. I mean, it's just capturing something that works, momentum, you know, and a lot of times we're wrong. You know, like that's probably the biggest thing is like, hey, everybody was wrong about a team's expectations coming in. But I do think a lot of the ones that we overlook, and if you notice some of our win totals, we were talking about Stanford. Tom and I are a little more bullish on Stanford with Troy Taylor being like, hey, that's just a fresh environment of coming in will like help lift that program. Now, they're about as bad an expectation as you could have. So I don't think they're going to be the new TCU or anything. But yeah, I think there's there's that. There's the, I mean, look at Joe Burrow in year one to year two. Nobody mm. saw that jump coming. So that was clearly a quarterback, but it also came with Joe Brady along with it. You know, remember he, what he added to the pass game as far as scheme. So I think it could be a lot of that. It could be schedule. Um, you know, I'm a big believer if you start off strong and maybe you win three or four in a row, you know, all of a sudden you're like, hey, like Kansas last year. Now they didn't finish as strong, but they started winning. All of a sudden we're talking about them. It's fun to go to practice. You start believing in what the coach is selling. So I think it'd be a number of different factors. Narrative can get in the way. I mean, expectations are going to be set in, in in place by the way that the program or the team is being talked about. And so that's why one thing, especially here in June and early July, I like going and looking at the bare bones because what's happened is sometimes the narrative will have you miss the fact that that TCU team that Sonny Dykes took over, like had a lot of talent. Like Mm -hmm. that was a group that had fallen short of the mar at the margins in that super competitive big 12. So the losses piled up, but they were not that far from being a little bit better. Um, Texas tech last year, year one with Joey McGuire, they were picked ninth next to last in the preseason media poll. They finished fourth in the conference because the bones there, you know, weren't like things had not collapsed uh, under Matt Wells. It was still like a, a pretty good football team that he was able to inherit and so the thing that I always find in common is that there were, ah, here's another one, the, the amazing, um, and I mean amazing, like I was just amazed at every point, the amazing collapse of the 2018 Louisville Cardinals team was a team that did not want to be playing for Bobby Petrino anymore. Scott Satterfield comes in, changes the energy, and all of a sudden players that are talented, a roster that was so much better than its record then they go and make that jump. So it's like the expectations are going to be set by narratives and the way that we talk about these teams, maybe the loss total from the year before. But when you do a little bit of a deeper dive and you realize that that roster just needed a new voice, mm-hmm. that that's how you can start to see things turn around pretty quickly. So yeah. also like Kansas with Lance Leipold last year, if you went two years ago, remember the back end of the season, they started to compete. They were in more competitive in a lot of games. Uh, they beat uh, Texas. Like you could just see, like something start to happen the year before, where it kind of was like, if you're sleeping on it and just say, "Oh, their win total is two and a half; they're not going to be any good again," you know, you have an opportunity there. Which I think all of us jumped on that one last year. Yeah, same thing we, with Vanderbilt. Same I mean, thing with Vanderbilt. Clearly, I mean, you find a Barton Simmons out there to come in and start evaluating talent. Like that's what gets the turnaround going. That's I'm I I've actually I need to get a Barton Simmons appearance here before the year. 
Yeah. There's gotta be, there's gotta be some time in a general ma- manager's, uh, right. You know, schedule where you he's step be away from the tape room, you know, just for yeah. a couple minutes. Come on. I know, I know, I know you're scouring all the transfer portal additions that you're going to have <laughs> coming up. All right. Uh, this next question comes from Dominic in the five-star mailbag. He says, great show. Love the humor and wonderful insight. You'll be happy to know on top of two female fans, you all wait. Have we done the Matt Castle question yet? No, I don't think okay, so. All right. Um, you'll be happy to know on top of two female fans running joke from a couple mailbags. We have many, many female fans, but those, those who have reached out, we, uh, we do appreciate on top of uh, your female fans, you also have a blind listener. Uh, listening to Bud on Texas Summer School, it got me thinking, would someone like Matt Castle have a chance to be drafted in today's NFL, meaning someone who was a star in high school but never played or started in college? I was thinking about this because of Malik Murphy, the Texas backup quarterback, and how he has all the tools. I could be, sit- I c- could be sitting behind Quinn and Manning, could not have a chance to start, but could somebody like him still get drafted? Um, absolutely. I think it could happen, especially now the way the NFL is drafting on potential. I mean, Anthony Richardson did not play great. He had 13 games and look where he got drafted. He's top five pick. You know, they're building a franchise around him. I think Malik Mur- Murphy was a perfect example. Uh, I do think you have to play well in spring, which he did. Uh, Matt Castle, I was looking up his stats. I didn't realize, I thought he maybe started a game or two. It looks like he didn't at all, didn't have that opportunity. Like Brad Johnson at Florida State was a, you know, he was a starter for about three to four games, got benched. Casey Weldon came in. Brad got drafted, I think, in the ninth round. I think they had more rounds when he got drafted. And then he ended up having, you know, a much longer career than Casey did and won a Super Bowl with Tampa. Um, those are some old examples, but for sure, I think a team, if you go out there, I do think you have to have some you have to have some tape that they can see. And I think spring is a good opportunity, especially a program like Texas. But even if you come in in relief or in one game, and I think it also matters who you're backing up, similar with Matt Castle. Like if they're like, "Oh, you're not playing because there's a number 1 overall pick in front of you." Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh that to me is the key is that you're at a huge program where the scouts are coming. Like Mm -hmm. the scouts are already going to be there because of the guy who is QB one or because of five more players on this offense. And as they're around practice and as they're starting to figure everything out, that's what they'll say. You know what? Like we kind of think that this guy might be something, uh, something special as well. And then I also go back to the, you know, the adage that continues, especially in the debate about whether or not you need to be at a certain program to get to the NFL, the NFL will find you. You know, if if you can play, the NFL will find you. There is there is too much being poured into uh, the the resources around you know getting players in for me to think that they're not going to be able to uh, to go and identify you whether or not you have played or started in college football or not. I do think if you're that guy, I think you have to have like I don't think. Let's say I'm trying to think of a like if Bryce Young, with his question of height stature if he didn't play i don't think you're taking i don't think you're taking him mm. but if there's a 64 250 pound you know like joe milton let's say he didn't play this year like let's say hen and hooker stayed another year 
But he played. He's played some. I'm trying to, but like a, a guy of his stature, I think you have tools, to have all the physical tools. attributes. Yeah, tools. yeah. They're not going to take a flyer because you look good on seven on seven in high school. Um. All right. Let's hit one more. Uh, this is from KCW in the uh, the five star mailbag. Could a collective with extensive resources ask three to five players to forego scholarships in exchange for a larger NIL bag, allowing the school to reallocate those scholarships to new kids and effectively go above the 85 scholarship limit? It could present a small edge on the margins for someone like an SMU or Texas A&M. Ooh, so he was saying on the margins. Um I brought this up a couple times on here. I think even going back to like right when NIL became, you know, uh, legal that uh, my mind was if you're Georgia or Bama and you're having to turn away four to five stars, well, Hey, we'll pay hey, your scholarships. We'll, we'll, we'll and let them walk on. Yeah. Like, and being able to oversign, like there's 85 scholarships, which is supposed to create parity and have an even level the playing field. I'm surprised, or maybe it is already, I, Bud. I, I'd be interested to get Bud's comments. We have to bring this up with him. As well, I think he said he doesn't think it, ha- it would happen. I think it would be easy for them to get an additional, like if you went to your collective and said, we are maxed out, we can't do what we've typically done, you know, we can't kind of slide some of these guys around, but this guy will come and we'll take, we'll, we'll provide the money for the tuition for the board and NIL on top of it, probably you could. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, what are the other advantages to being on scholarship? What would you be missing out on if you were not a scholarship player? Is there a is there a different line when you go into the cafeteria? Like, are you? Well, yeah, like if you're a walk on, you don't get the same respect. But if you can play, they don't care. You know, right. like, we respected walk ons because they put in the work. But you are kind of an afterthought, and you have to do the grunt work, and you're usually like a tackling dummy for the defense, which isn't fun. But again, like if you're a guy that can play and everybody's like, oh, this is his deal. He might be a walk on in name, but he can actually play. They don't care. Like you're going to get treated the same. Like, yeah, technically there are things that you're treated a little bit differently. But if you're making six figures or more and you're you know, like school's paid for, like, I don't care. You yeah, know? I I don't know why it doesn't. This, I think it will. Like I okay. thought it will. I mean, maybe it's. I mean, it is expensive. I mean, they're trying to max out the you know NIL money, but I I think it I think it will if it hasn't already. Uh, Tika Frog in the chat says that BYU gave a bunch of walk-ons full rides through NIL, so it can definitely happen. So that I remember was they paid. I remember they paid the walk. Remember they had the deal with the like uh, I think it was a juice bar, like a health food restaurant that paid all the walk-ons an NIL deal. I didn't know they provided them a full scholarship. I thought the deals were like. 1500 bucks or remember Miami did it too. Every player on the roster got 500 bucks. If you signed up with the gym that was promoting it. So, I mean, there's already been kind of, but that doesn't cover your like whole tuition. Bull, yeah, like, right. it, Everything could be, get expensive. Yeah. The pet, the full package that a scholarship player gets financially is, a, and it depends on what school, like at Miami, you're talking, you know, probably 75, a hundred grand all in. And you know, that's probably tight squeezing. It depends on where you live, but I mean, maybe John Ruiz would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll fit that bill for the right player. Because mm, I, I think that for famous, like the. Well, the when Baker songs- Mayfield, when Baker Mayfield went to Oklahoma, was he a walk on then? I mean, I know he, he yes. was a walk on at Texas Tech. So like, in essence, you could, 
if you had somebody who was wealthy and didn't need a scholarship, you could cheat it that way or teams have gotten around it. Now then, like you just want to do right by the player. Like why would I make him, you know, you know, pay for school when he's good enough clearly. But now like I, I think I think it's something that teams if they're not looking into, they should be and they probably are and, and will. Um athletes of means, I think I've heard of that happening before where like mm-hmm. the the son of a former NFL star who is on the roster, you know, like maybe they're not on scholarship because they've It'd got be like Tom Brady there. playing for less for the Patriots. Like I yeah. I'd rather have a scholarship given to a guy that's going to help me as opposed to I take a scholarship and have a walk on, you know, like I think you could view it that way. Yeah. Very interesting. Definitely something to track moving forward. Danny, get, get, getting up to uh, the mountains. Yeah, gonna go get some time. cool weather. Hopefully, get on the lake. You know, sling the kids around on the uh, on the boat. Let's see if I can toss them out of there. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking fun. of scholarships, we got some Division One scholarship potential on the back of that boat. You be careful, <laughs> all right? All right, we will. We got volleyball. You know, we we can't we cannot be jeopardizing. That's the, right. We got we got tuition bills that you got to worry about too. All right. True. We we'll have to be a little bit more careful this year as we slingshot them around. Awesome. Double trouble. Yeah, foster the athleticism there. And you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Danny, thank you very much. See ya.